Hello, my name is Punky, and this is my daughter, Penny. Uh, we're part of the Mosaic with Penny's brother, Luca, and my husband, Vinny. We are glad to worship with you today, and we're going to read Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 8, and Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, which are the scripture we're learning from today. Let's begin. Luke 20, verses 1 through 8. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us by what authority are you going to do these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask why or didn't you believe him. But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, We don't know where it was from. Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 4. When the day of the Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This, this is, is the, the word, word of, of the, the Lord. Lord. You may be seated. Penny, thank you. This might be better if I just gave uh, Penny my notes and $10 bill and call that good for the morning. That'd be pretty good. That would be excellent. <laughs> uh, good morning. And we get to um, uh, walk through the scripture that um, Penny and Punky just read for us. Um, and I think what might be helpful, um, just Tim said we've been marching through this story, Luke's gospel for... Did he say marching? Marching? I said marching. <laughs> no. I'm reinterpreting. We've been working through Luke's gospel for, um, for a long time now. And, and we're in chapter 20. And, um, and what we can kind of miss by just hitting this once a week is kind of the momentum and the movement and really like what this cohesive story is doing to us and doing for us. And so... Um, we, we really believe that every time we open the scripture, we have the opportunity to hear the voice of God, both individually and corporately, and that by doing that, by receiving God's word to us, that we would actually be, be changed people and to be moved um, with um, love and truth out. And so we've actually, we've, in talking about Luke and Acts, this has become our, some of our framing um, that's kind of part of the blurb, um, and I think it'll go up on the screen uh, for me. I don't have in mind. There we go. All right. This is, this is something we said about Luke and Acts together. It says that this testimony reads our lives and brings us face to face with the Savior who embodies perfect love and truth in a complicated world. So as we come to the text today, we're expecting not only that we're going to read it, but it's going to read us and bring us face to face with Jesus, which is a high bar. So we should pray. We should pray. Mm. Yeah. Let's pray, church. God, it is a heart. It's, it's amazing how your word and you at work with it in our lives, how your spirit illuminates it, 
and how you use it to show us who you are and you use it to invite us to life with you for the sake of others. Mm-hmm. And so we want that to happen today. We want to open your word and we want to be changed by the, the presence of your church here, by the scripture and by you illuminating it in our hearts and minds. Would you do that today? Would you convict us? Would you comfort us? Would you show us the things that you want us to see? And also, would you just clear out anything that is not for us this morning? Would you leave it here? But would we come to this, your word, open to you, open to you working in our lives and our hearts, open to you changing and renewing our minds? And would we leave here after this time together this morning in your presence? Would we leave here and would we take what you have done with us? Would we take that transformation out into the world? Mm. So we're here, we're expectant. We know that you're going to work and we invite it and we thank you for it. Mm. Amen. Amen. So uh, we're jumping into Luke 20. And um, talked about just the movement of the story. So one of the things that we've seen over this this period of time that we have been, um, I was joking when I said the marching, because like that that just like that, just the steady pace of it. Like, yes, it has not been treachery. It hasn't, hasn't it? It's been amazing to encounter Jesus through his word and to see what he is about. We also are in a greater story. And in that greater story, for those of you maybe might remember from high school English class. I think probably that's a closer memory for some of us than for others. But we're also at a point in the story, and it's called the rising action. So I'm looking, I'm looking at the students around here, the rising action. We're in this point of like tension in the story. Everything is happening. It's starting to happen really fast. Jesus is resolute uh, at obeying the course that his father has set for him to save us, to save humanity. And we are headed into all, there's all this, there's all this intrigue. There's all this scheming. Um, We have crowds of people who are so excited about who Jesus is and what he is doing. They're hungry for him. They're hungry for his message. So his message is meeting the common man and they're eager for it. They're hungry for it. And then we also have the ruling class, the religious leaders, and they are not about it. They are actually offended by it. They have um, been, had a lot of control and a lot of power, and they're starting to lose that power. It's starting to slip through their hands. They can feel it with Jesus. So they're coming up against him. And they're scheming, they're plotting, um, they're frustrated, and they are trying to trap Jesus. So um, what I just, I'm just going to read that part here. Um, but one day, as Jesus was teaching people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and teachers of the law, together with the elders, so this is the ruling class, the authorities, um, came together or came up to him and said, Tell us by what authority you are doing these things. They said, Who gave you this authority? So you can see they're just they're just trying to trap him. If you remember last week when Avery was with us, he was talking about this moment in the story where Jesus turns over the, t- the, the tables in the temple. There's this, um, 
this really, like, literally Jesus is turning over the tables in the temple, and then metaphorically, Jesus is actually turning over the whole system. He's saying, what is happening is not what I am about. I'm going to show you what I am about. So where we're at is, it's been in a matter of days here. We're moving. It's been the triumphal entry. Um, Jesus has has come into Jerusalem and the people have called him king and they've honored him and then he's turned over the tables in the temple and now we're headed into this part of the story where the religious leaders are starting to scheme against him. What happens here is that the religious leaders have a question that all of us are being asked. Luke is asking all of us this question. And it is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who are you going to believe that Jesus is? Um, the, the religious leaders, they can't, they can't recognize him as God. But what we want to do today is we want to ask ourselves that question. In all areas of our life, are we saying that Jesus is God? Are we giving Jesus that authority? So we're going to put up a quote here. It's a quote from A.W. Tozer. It's one that we put up semi-regularly. And it's because it reveals so much uh, about us now and, and how we relate with God. So what comes into our minds, what comes into our minds, each of us individually, when we think about God, is the most important thing about us. Just want to sit with that for a minute. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We're seeing what's happening with the religious leaders and what's coming into their mind. Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus is the image of God. So we have to ask ourselves here, what comes into our minds when we think about Jesus is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind? If we continue with this quote, I love it because it goes not just the individual, but it goes to all of us. It goes to us as mosaic. It goes to the church. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward a mental image of God. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward a mental image of Jesus. And it's going to back up here. Yes. Uh, This is true not only of the individual Christian, but it's also true of the company of Christians. What's the company of Christians? The company of Christians is the church. It's us. This is us. So what comes to mind as individuals when we think about Jesus and what comes to mind as the church is the most important thing. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God, is her idea of Jesus. So that's the question in front of us, is, is who is Jesus? And what do I believe about this Jesus? Am I seeing him clearly? So those first couple of verses that Kim read, the question comes from this entourage of the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Where, and Jesus is, this is not his first interaction with any of these groups of people, but it is a little bit of a, they're teaming up against Jesus, maybe. It's a, a bit of a show of force. And while they do come with this question, 
tell us by what authority you're doing these things. Who gave you this, this authority? It's clear that it, it's not really like, like a question of curiosity or really a desire to learn. Like that feels obvious to Jesus. It feels obvious in the tone of the story. It's obvious to people looking on. They are offended. They're irate. They're eager to find like a weak spot to exploit Jesus, um, to call him out, to prove him wrong, to put him in kind of this like religious or political pickle, to rid themselves of this problem character. I think it's their goal. And so their question is, who gave you this, this authority? Is more in, this, in kind of the tone of what gives you the right to do and say the things you've been doing and saying, to show and tell with your words and actions that you are, you're claiming identity and to be the embodiment of God. And this is, this is that question for us, is, is can I believe that Jesus has the authority and is a legitimate expression of who God is? Um, he's, Jesus, uh, this is not the first time he's been claiming this. Um, he's lived and he's spoken and acted as one with authority. So we don't get the, maybe the ease of dismissing him as somebody without authority. He's not uh, just a regular teaching rabbi. Um, he's not like an extraordinarily nice, compassionate person. He, uh, you can't even write him off as somebody who's just has somehow has some dark art, magical powers, or the power of illusion or something. Um, he, he's, he's lived with real authority, and he's been remarkably consistent in doing it. And so as Jesus responds, let's read his response. He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it amongst themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So Jesus is, is um, this is not Jesus skirting the question. By responding with a question, this is actually kind of the classic form of Greek or Jewish um, like argument. The public debate, it was, it was about questioning your opponent's question. And so it's, it's, um, it's kind of these impressive linguistic Kung Fu moves that Jesus is doing, where, where he's asking a question and kind of put the, uh, put the emphasis back on their response rather than on him answering. And what, what he's doing, too, is I think he's pointing out, like, you know this. He's kind of pointing out the flaw in their question, which is that it's not really a question, it's an accusation. And where Jesus kind of puts the pressure on, forcing them to make um, kind of a statement of admittal about him, is he's, he's forcing them either to admit that Jesus is who he says he is, that he came with real authority, God-given authority from heaven, or they're admitting publicly that they don't believe him and are against him, which for them is, is a little bit of, um, they're stuck there because the people have been um, kind of enraptured by both John the Baptist who came paving the way for Jesus and this man, Jesus, who said, I'm acting with the authority of God, uh, healing the sick, driving out demons, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Um, they put themselves in, they say, they say they're in fear of, of being stoned, which I think is maybe a little hyperbolic, but they know that it is bad news for them, for them to publicly be against Jesus. And so they're trying to force him um, into making that conclusion for them. But Jesus is not unclear about his answer. His response puts forth the claim that the same authority in which John the Baptist came is the authority that he comes with, and in an, even in a fuller sense. He's answering the question, who gave you this authority? And he's forcing the religious leaders to this point. Do I believe that Jesus has authority and is legitimate expression of God? And this is not the first time he's, he's making this claim. Um, we, we threw together just a quick list of things that Jesus says about himself in the gospel that points to this reality that I, I've come from heaven with the real authority of God. In John, he says, I am the bread of life. In John 10, he says, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. 
In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Luke 4, Jesus quoting Isaiah, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Goes on to say what that, what that means. And in Luke 10, he said, no one knows the Father except the Son and to those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And I think maybe, maybe the, a good summation is, this is a, a quote from C.S. Lewis, kind of, which illustrates the predicament that both the religious leaders are in and that we come face to face with in Jesus. This is what C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus has been clear, consistent, and it, and it is kind of coming to this crux, this public um, like conflict between him and the religious leaders. And we as the readers are, are asked the same question, will I receive Jesus as God and Lord? And then the follow-up question, which just comes along with this, is what's in the way of that? If Jesus has been clear, if he's come with real authority, not only in word but in deed, can I receive that Jesus? And where does it kind of bump up with my image of God as it is and needs to be corrected into kind of the, who Jesus truly reveals himself to be? So we're grappling with that question here. We're grappling with in every area of my life is Jesus Lord. Hmm. In some areas of my life, is he a liar? Is some areas of my life he lunatic or is all areas of my life Jesus is Lord what we see is that the religious leaders will not call him Lord they'll call him other things but they will not call him Lord they're too offended he does not look like what their image of God is they have an image of God they expected him to look a certain way they expected him to act a certain way and Jesus does not measure up those things that they have. And because of that, they will not surrender their lives to his lordship. Jesus goes on to tell this parable. And with this parable, you know, Jesus, this amazing storyteller, is actually offering, uh, um, they've accused him and he's accusing them back with it. Hmm. So I'm just going to read this. This is... Um, Luke 20, 9 to 12, and then we'll talk through it. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. 
he sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. So, who's the vineyard owner? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you guys, who's the vineyard owner? You guys can answer. God, that's right. Who are the tenants? The tenants are the religious leaders. I think it's a good question for us to think about for us, the religious leaders. Who, who are the, this one's getting, who are, the, who are the messengers? Who are the servants? Prophets, that's right, the prophets and the messengers. So what we see in this is that God has been persistent. He's been patient. He is trying to break through. He's trying to show them who he is and invite them to life. Um, that's what he's trying to do with us. He is trying to break through to us. And, um, and, and Jesus is saying with this story, not only did the, did the religious leaders and did, did the people of God not accept the prophets and the messengers, but they didn't, they're not going to accept him. He is prophetically speaking into his death that he is just days away from. He also, if, if, you, if you catch this in here, um, it also says in the second, uh, oh, right there, what shall I do? I will send my son whom I love. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like Jesus' baptism when God says about him, this is my son whom I love. So God, Jesus is saying, I know who I am. I have my identity, but you don't believe it. You don't accept it. And you are actually going to kill me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's this, uh, it's a little ominous and sad. Um, like uh, I, I do have some, um, some grief maybe about how the religious leaders kind of, you're watching this like a, like a train wreck almost like you're, you're watching them fail to receive Jesus as he comes. And it's kind of this, this, he paints this parable as kind of the extreme truth of what happened where, um, God in his mercy and gracious patience has, has tried to break through to the religious leaders and, um, and they've failed to receive him. And I think, I think that it's easy to kind of put the, put the blame on the religious leaders, but it, but it is kind of a confronting question to, for me even, is, is how have I to receive Jesus as he actually is, not just who I wish he was? Um, have I been like blinded to who God is coming to me because I've only expected him to look and feel and act a certain way? And so it brings us back to the question of, will I receive him as God and Lord? And then further points us to what's like what's in the way. What are those things that are in the way? Um, the things that are in the way of receiving Jesus. Um, and we, we put together kind of a list of four. Um, and and we were good teachers and, and made it. Um, they all start with the same letter, um, and so you can remember them. Um, but I, I just want to prep you like it's not a not a warm and exciting list because we're trying to look. We're trying to identify like what's in the way of me, me and Jesus. Um, and the first thing we think is just just disappointment, like. How have I been disappointed by, by Jesus? Is there a way that God hasn't shown up? He, um, it appeared like he wasn't listening the way I wanted him to. Um, I think of times when I've, I've prayed for myself or prayed for others, and it feels like those prayers um, have not been returned to me with the answers that I was hoping for or wishing for. 
Um, that's just a real point of tension for any Christian is how, um, how have I been disappointed with God? And then what do I do with my disappointment? Do I hang on to it? Um, do, I, do I turn it back to Jesus? Or does it become something that defines and twists up that relationship of who I think God is and how he acts and looks and feels towards me? Another one for us to consider is, where do I disagree with Jesus? What are some of the things that Jesus says or that Jesus is about that I don't want to be about? I want it to look different, and I just plain don't agree with him. What are some ways maybe can, can you sift through your mind? What are some things that you go, man, that kind of offends me when Jesus says that, or I don't want his lordship to look like that because I actually have this value in my life. Hmm. Third one is, is disillusionment. Mm-hmm. Where am I disillusioned with Jesus? And so often this comes through the people that represent Jesus, not just Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. Um, where have I been disillusioned by uh, church leaders or church community, people who call themselves Christians but act in a way that is not in line with who Jesus is? Um, where, yeah, where have I let kind of like the public perception of Christianity like morph and twist who Jesus is in me? Um, I, what, what's, my, what's mind-blowing about God is Jesus chooses the church. And so often as a Christian, my choice is to not choose the church. Like, no, nah, I'm going to stick with just Jesus, not, not choose the thing that he then chooses. So there's, like, there's this disillusionment and kind of this like settling for, no, I think I've, like I, I've got to figure it out a better way. Um, or, or settling for, I guess this is all there is. Like this, this brokenness, this amount of just human disruption, this thing that's supposed to be beautiful, this must be all there is, and I guess I'll just settle for that. Yeah. Okay, the last one, disaware. Disawareness okay. is not a word. Okay, thanks. Unawareness. <laughs> but so you remember. We tried. <laughs> disawareness. Blind spots do we have? Mm. All of us have blind spots. All of us have ways that we are operating that aren't in alignment with Jesus' lordship. And that is actually a reflection of our belief. There's areas that we're blind to, and that is part of the beauty of the church. That is part of the beauty of trusted community. Community is the antidote to unawareness when it's trusted. We want to be people that we can walk together with who can have honest conversations. Hey, I don't know, have you thought about this? Did you, Connor, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, where, where you can have real, I mean, we do this on our staff team. You might have friends that you do this with. You might have a community that you do this with. Um, If you're married, likely you have somebody who's telling you some of that stuff. So, um, but Unity is one of the places where we confront our unawareness or disawareness. Mm. Yeah, and, and while this list might sit kind of heavy, feel like a little bit of a wet blanket to your Sunday morning, um, we, what's, what's beautiful about this kind of thing and kind of the warning of the religious leaders is that um, we're invited because we're readers of this story to not miss Jesus the way they did yeah. and to and receive the thing that feels like it's in the way as an invitation to come close to God. And, and so what's beautiful is because Jesus is in the business of turning things kind of on their head, the thing that feels like it's in the way actually becomes the point where Jesus brings transformation. And we think that um, today's a good day 
to be talking about transformation even because of what it represents on the church calendar. Absolutely. So church, it's your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> it's Pentecost Sunday. Yeah. So on the church calendar, what we recognize and what we celebrate today is that Jesus's church was born. It was birthed. And it happened when the Holy Spirit fell. We read Penny and Punky read it earlier. It's absolutely dramatic, astounding, miraculous. And it's our origin. Mm. And it's our invitation. So we have, this is, this is not like just something for the early church. This is something for us now. When we align our lives with the Lordship of Jesus, when we give our whole hearts and lives and minds and souls and bodies to him, and we invite his spirit in, we act in power. And that's what we see with the Holy Church, with the Holy Spirit and on Pentecost Sunday. So um, the, the other thing about Pentecost Sunday, just to remember is that in John, in John 15, Jesus said, I'm going to go away. I'm going to send a helper, and this is actually going to be even better. The helper is going to be even better. That is our reality today, church. We have that helper. This isn't just something in the past. This is something that is our identity. We are Jesus followers who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So um, we just, we want to um, backtrack to our story. Pentecost happened 50 days after the resurrection. Mm -hmm. We are just days away. We are days away from the crucifixion and then the resurrection. 50 days after that, the spirit falls on people who were afraid, people who were doubtful, people who were all in, people who were brokenhearted. This is a group of people that had put all their eggs in one basket, and that basket is Jesus. So no matter what is happening, they are aligned with him in spite of what they are experiencing. And so they have gathered together and they're all together in this room. This is just 50 days from the resurrection. They're all together. And it says in Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost, when the day of the church's birth came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like blowing violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in, in, an, uh, in other tongues and the Spirit enabled them. Hmm. If, we just, if we just read Jesus' um, interaction with the religious leaders and his kind of parable condemnation, it can be tempting to take the moral of the story to be like, do everything you can to just not be the religious leader. And I, I think the invitation is actually a little better for us. And it's not to just not be the religious leader, but it's to receive the Holy Spirit. Because the thing that's in the way of me seeing Jesus um, as he is, is it often feels too heavy for me to like deal with on my own. So it's the reason we need community to do it, but it's also the reason we count on the transforming work of the Spirit. Um, and where the place of kind of getting caught becomes the way of like invitation into God and his presence. And what we see happen is just like that, the kind of descriptors you said, is, is that the spirit comes to people just like you and I. 
just like people who are like looking on to this interaction between Jesus and the religious leaders, not people who have it all together, have it perfectly figured out, or are perfectly the antithesis of uh, religious um, of the religious leaders. Um, so the question, the invitation before us is: is will I receive Jesus as God and Lord? Um, will I believe and trust, and then surrender to His better leading in my life? And the only reason we get, the only reason, the only way we say yes to that question is to say, Holy Spirit, like, come and fill me with the power to have faith and to trust in you and believe. So that's kind of the lens with which we want to close and then invite us to these tables. Um, in the New Testament, it says that um, while we we're still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us. And so we if full, can bring ourselves, like, full of a little bit of faith or a lot faith to this table and receive Jesus' work done for us, and then that paved the way for the Spirit to come and transform not only the early church, but us now as inheritors of the church. Kim, I'm wondering, can you maybe um, can you pray us into communion? Yes. That would be awesome. And part of the invitation with that is also, we're a confessing church. One of the things we do is confess to each other and pray for each other. And so as we're doing this, it's a little bit like the image I had was of spring cleaning. When you go to all the corners of your house and you get the cobwebs down, you sweep out the closets, you wipe down the dust. And we're today can be spring cleaning for us. We can take all areas of our life during this time, during this time of communion, and will you reflect Will you ask the Spirit to show, show you what areas have I not yet declared you, Lord, and aligned my life with it? Is it my mind? Is it my heart? Is it my sexuality? Is it my money? Is it my time? Would you consider that with the Holy Spirit? And as you do communion, as you come and you, you take the bread that represents the body and you take the cup that represents the blood, would you move towards somebody and would you just pray for each other? Would you say, will you, I'm, I need help with this from the Spirit. Help, will you pray for me? And you can take it, you can go all over. You can, you're not, you don't have to go here in the seats. You can go in the wings. But would you just take that time hmm. to really reflect and to really um, inventory what areas to align with God today and ask for prayer. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you that you give us power to live out our identity in Jesus as beloved children of the Father and Creator. We understand that we are participating in a plan that is so much bigger than us and a story that is so much greater than us, yet you care about the very things that are not yet transformed and healed and surrendered to you. And so, would you come in this moment? We know that you offer freedom, that you offer abundant life. We know that your way is the good way. We know that your invitation is always good and that we are safe in your hands. And so today, God, we want to move towards that. We want to take action towards that. And that's why we that we would taste the bread, that we would eat it, 
would drink your blood, that we would remember the great sacrifice that purifies us and presents us in a way that is holy. And God, we want to receive your spirit and move in power and truth and grace and love to the people around us. Would you do that? Thank mm-hmm. you.